This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking all sort of burnished in an autumnal burnt orange, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. And over in Cambridgeshire on this soggy, soggy day, because we had a deluge yesterday, we have the ever-smiling Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson, looking absolutely blooming. And, you know, I'm delighted we brought middle names into the conversation at the very beginning of this podcast, because I think our guest today, welcomed back to the podcast for, I think, his third appearance, has some of the best middle names of anybody to appear on Talking Dirty. Joe Lawrence Leplay, shaman of Monk Silver Nursery, down the road from me in Cambridgeshire. Welcome back to Talking Thank Dirty. You. In a very... already looking, I'm already looking very Christmassy. Yeah. I don't have the autumn russets on. I've got the Christmas on. Very fine, fair Isle jumper. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the reasons we've invited you back is um, this is, uh, despite the fact that a lot of those big summer fairs are over, a slightly busy season for you because the specialist autumn snowdrop fairs are on and you've been, you know, getting all of those excited galanthophiles snaffling up the um, the autumn snowdrops, which I'm sure everyone watching or listening to a podcast like this knows about. But snowdrops are certainly not just for one time of year. No, well, with me, they start in September. So the middle of September. So I get a, a peak of flowering at that point in time. And then I get a slight lull. I'm going through into October, November with slightly less varieties, but still flowers coming. There's a slight, again, sort of, slower period over Christmas with a few varieties remember remember and three ships and early to rise there's a whole series that come through until you get through to the main season which then starts probably about mid-January and then uh, you go through this massive peak in February a few flower into March and one or two just very very one or two will still have flowers on in April. We just closed our garden to the public and it was very funny because one of our visitors came up to me on the last day and she said, I've never seen so much colour in the garden. This is ridiculous. We've had this dreadful period of drought throughout the summer. Um, you know, everybody said there's going to be no autumn colour. There's masses of colour. How do you do it? But there's one thing I just want to say. Snowdrops? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Come on. You need to invest in a few autumn ones. I I have. I've got four or five autumn flowering varieties. Yeah, well and I mean, you know, they, they suddenly appear from nowhere because they've been under shrubs and things that, that are losing their leaves. And suddenly there you are. There they are. Um, yeah. And you have this wonderful surprise that natural, just as you thought everything was going to be brown and dull and dead, there they are. There's that, that, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I, I agree with you. This autumn has been marvellous for the number of things that are still in flower. Things that have... They took a little pause when it got very dry, and now they're having mm. another go. And I've even seen a horse chestnut in full flower, and um, also hawthorn in full flower. And I've got all sorts of things which are still in flower, and this this mild weather this week is going to keep them in flower a bit longer because quite often it's the frost that takes the flowers off, yeah. and also knocks those last few leaves off. And um, this mild weather now is keeping it all uh, going, and it's all holding steady. 
Um, and there are snow jobs in the autumn, of course, but there are lots and lots of other things, which is uh, what Thordis wanted to talk about. Well, yes. So for anyone who thinks this is about to turn into a complete Galanthophile, Galanthos special, don't worry. We want to touch on autumn snowdrops because we're plant obsessed, but there's a whole lot of colour uh, coming up as well. And I had a sneak peek at some of the things Joe had lined up. So I'm very excited for show and tell today. Um, but before we move away from autumn snowdrops, and I don't know if you've brought any along because it is probably... Yeah, we I have. have. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the I suppose the thing that's different. Oh, he's he's disappeared to get a snowdrop. Oh, here they come. The thing that's different is we we get used to <laughs> in um in sort of the the late winter into spring the the various different types. So you know all the different breeding that goes on between different groups. But in autumn, it is slightly less varied. Would I be right in saying? Yes, uh, I think it's less varied because you're only working within one species. And it's very, very difficult to get hybrids between the one that there is. Now, there's one or two early Galanthus elwesi, which have been used. So the, the one that most people will know is uh, Galanthus autumn beauty. Uh, but there is another one that's widely available. And then people have been freezing pollen of the autumn ones and putting it onto the spring ones. Try and push the flowering season a bit earlier. And they are succeeding. And then I'm trying to use these very early Elwes varieties to cross in and gradually, 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 the flowering time is getting earlier and earlier. And they're nearly all Reginiolgi crossed with Elwesi because those are the two earliest species. Where does Reginiolgi come from? Well, in the wild, it's got quite a big distribution, in fact. So you'll find it um, along the west coast of Greece, all the way down to the Peloponnese. And then uh, so the forms that were known in, also in Corfu, so the forms that were known as, you know, Cambridge or Rachel I or Octobrensis all come from that part of the world, Corfu and that western coast of Greece. But when you move down into the Peloponnese, which is also part of Greece, a big peninsula that is south of mainland Greece, then there you start finding, uh, as you go further and further down, the snowdrops flower earlier and earlier and earlier because they've got to, they've had to adapt to climate change over the last 6,000 years. So they've moved their flowering times to be earlier. And there you'll find uh, slightly more graceful, more delicate forms that flower in September. So uh, this is why the bulk, like the one that's most known is Cambridge, which is obviously one of the, the sort of Corfu or Western Greece one. So which ones have you brought along today? I've got a selection. So I've got uh, some which are those larger Western coast Greek ones. I've got a hybrid, which is a Reginiolgi crossed in Elvis, which was done, the, the one called Autumn Beauty that was done by someone else. And then I've got one or two uh, pure Reginiolgi. So a Reginiolgi uh, is, is named for Queen um, Olga. That's where the Reginiolgi comes from. And Queen Olga of Greece, of course. And it was only named in 1926. It was named quite late uh, because there was quite a lot of confusion about its identity in the early days. Oh, wow. Well... Show us. We want to see okay. autumn snowdrop number one. Okay. <laughs> so one of the leading lights in autumn snowdrops is a man called Melvin Jope. Melvin Jope. And this is one that is named for him with extremely large flowers. This isn't the first early. It's a slightly second early one. Uh, so this will be flowering. Well, as you can see, it's flowering now. So we're end of October, beginning of November. And then, uh, so this is called Melvin Joe, but then there's another one here, and you really, I, you probably will not be able to see it. It's, you can see that it's much smaller 
And I don't know whether you can see that it's a slightly greeny colour because the yeah. camera don't always, you can. Yeah, there's a real kind of fluorescent hue coming across. There's a kind of greeny, greeny, yellowy hue to this. And this one is called Adamite and Adamite is a green mineral. And then we have... Uh, <laughs> run out, grab a snowdrop, run back in. Run back in. So this, this is one of the parts of the, the early group again. And this variety, if that's in focus, yeah. Uh, is called Ruby Baker. It has big green tips and green markings on it. And this, this is the last flower on that very early September group. So this is really it now because they're all, they've all gone over. And then the one that I've got here, which is the hybrid. Uh, this hybrid uh, is a cross between Galanthus Helwesi and Galanthus Regina Olgi. And it was done by uh, a guy who doesn't live too far away from me, uh, south of Huntingdon. And he realised, he went to his garden centre and realised there were some Elwessies flowering very early. And he saw the possibilities and then he started to cross. So then he's created Autumn Beauty and there's another one. I can't remember Autumn something. Do you know that one, Alan? No, I don't. Is that Autumn Beauty that you've got there? This is, this is Autumn Beauty that I have here, yes. It's a lovely it's big clump. Good. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And you can see in the leaves that it's clearly a hybrid. Very, very vigorous and... Um, a deservedly a good plant. Um, I don't know whether it's PBR or not, it might be, but it's, it's certainly been marketed in a proper way and is available in lots of places. So that's Autumn Beauty. Um, and then the other one I've got here, about the, the ones that are from, uh, shall we say, the centre of the Peloponnese being slightly smaller and slightly earlier. So if we look at um, something like going back to Melvin Job again, if you look at Melvin Job, you can see what kind of size is here and um, when you start going to this western coast of mainland Greece and into Corfu then you suddenly start finding that they're much much bigger it's enormous it's enormous so this this is this is the another selection by this is named for Melvin but this one here is a selection made by Melvin um, which is called Tessera with huge flowers on very tall stems and uh, can have either three or four petals on every flower so uh, it's quite showy. It's much more showy than a normal variety would be because it's got those extra petals in the flower. And you can see the height difference is really quite remarkable. Yeah, how tall then, is that that taller one? Oh, it's nearly a foot tall. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is the difference between Corfu and Western Greece and then the main Tejitos mountains with these slightly smaller but very early ones. <laughs> right. So you are so you are right. The variation is limited. The one I can't show you, which um uh, I would love to show you, but they've all finished, is the one that's called Pink Panther. And it is, is remarkably pink. And me being me, I've actually crossed it onto itself and then back crossed again to get one that's even more pink. And it's so pink that the green mark looks brown. So whether that's an advantage or a disadvantage, I don't know. But you know, it is a damn. We just love pink. That's, uh, yeah, I know. That's for others to judge. It's for others to judge. But you know, I keep working away, creating all these these parts, and I shall I shall keep going for as long as I can. <laughs> right, so, I, so I didn't bring that many snowdrops. It was just enough to, to, to put the flavour in the, in the article. To whet our appetite. I mean, Alan, I've seen you scribbling them down. I, I know you have got your, your sort of five or so varieties of autumn snowdrops at East Ruston, but are you building up? I mean, we haven't got to Flomo yet, but are you building up a bit of a wish list? Yes, I am. I'd like to have Autumn Beauty um, and I would like to have Tessera because that's very large. Um, I thought you'd like that. And I like Melvin Jones as well. And, and Ruby Baker I don't have because she's very early. So I'd like all of those. Uh, they would be wonderful. So if you put those on an order for me, Joe, that would be lovely. 
No, we'll, we'll obviously double the price because it's Alan. <laughs> I love that this is like Alan's sort of personal shopper experience. Well, yes, but, you know, well, of course, what, what's, the, what's the whole point of this podcast? It's Alan can talk to people and do his own shopping from home without actually having to go anywhere. He can just write these little lists out. But he knows, because he knows me, that I'm actually writing them all down as well. Yes. yes. <laughs> so you know that I'm making a list. Ever the businessman. Um, so autumn snowdrops, obviously something you as Mr. Snowdrop are associated with. But actually, one of the plants I associate most with you are chrysanthemums. And it's a great joy to see such a wide range at your nursery because, you know, we always talk about the fact that chrysanthemums fall out of fashion and garage forecourt flowers, etc. It's um, it's very disappointing because hardy chrysanthemums in particular are such wonderful garden plants. And I know I don't need to tell you that because you're obviously a huge fan of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we all start by driving around and seeing the cottage garden varieties. that are still there that have survived everything, every winter that was thrown at them, everything that could possibly happen, they've stood up to. But you have to remember that chrysanthemums were, were, when they were first introduced, they were introduced as show flowers. They weren't really designed to go in the garden at all. And most of the ones that came through as show flowers are enormous flowers, but not really designed to grow outdoors in this country. So they weren't very hardy. And it wasn't until people introduced a species called Yezoensi into gardens that was totally hardy that that plant could then start crossing with other varieties that were here to produce the first hardy strain, which was called the rubellums. And the rubellums were very tall, single flowered. And as people went through, as time went by, people started crossing uh, back and back again on these rubellums and they ended up with uh, a group that is called, and I'm going to tell you about this in a minute, they're called the Koreans. Uh, they were starting to cross back into that. So they got, uh, again, a much better range of characters. That's a fully double and lo lots more colours, but slightly less hardy. But the whole group, the whole subject of the groups of rebellums and Koreans and all of these groups is really such a mess. If you actually start looking through at which group each different plant is put into, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But instead of looking at that, you want to know when you buy it, is it hardy? Uh, will it grow in my conditions? Will it flop? Important <laughs> character, because uh, most of the ones that we selected, we've, we've gone through the range of varieties of possible. We're looking for hardiness. We're looking for uprightness. We're looking for dramatic color range. And um, we don't want it to fall over. So do you want to see a few or not? Yes. Mm. Okay, well, the, the highlights, the one that uh, everybody is going mad for is one that I picked a few years ago. Um, in Germany at a plant fair when I was legally allowed to buy these things. And this one is called Etna. And it has the most amazing color because each petal is red with a yellow tip. And as the flower grows, the yellow tip gets longer and you end up with a, a flower that is really half and half red and yellow. And I don't know any other hardy chrysanthemum that has got that pattern. It's the most amazing pattern. And unsurprisingly, it sells like hot cake. And do, Alan, do you have this one? No, but I'd like it, please. <laughs> okay, well, here, you, you take this one. And I'll go and Thank get you very one. much. <laughs> um, so, you know, really, it's the most amazing new variety. We, we, we very fortunately, I think, are the first people to be selling it because I managed to get it out of the EU before everything closed down. So that's Etna, so Chrysanthemum Etna. And it's um, even more beautiful in real life, if that's possible. I mean, it's, uh, it really catches your eye across the nursery. Now, I would say that Etna, for me, is on the 
it's not as hardy as some. Another one we'll do with quickly next is um, one called Ruby Mound. And Ruby Mound has got the most amazing, rich, dark red flowers. They're stunning flowers. And um, received opinion is that this is not hardy because it's more closely related to the Koreans or to the, some of the greenhouse ones. The greenhouse ones are still not hardy, by the way. But you can actually take a, a bunch of plants that you bought in a supermarket and you can root the stems. You can grow the plants, but they're really not hardy. Anyway, Ruby Mound, um, for me and for others, has proved to be completely hardy. So whether that's just climate change or whether that uh, the people sort of, somebody had a bad experience and lost it and then it went around being labelled as not hardy, I don't know. But for me, it's totally hardy. Um, it's taller than Etna. Etna will be probably anything up to two and a half feet, so that's 75 centimetres. Ruby Mound will be 75 to 90, so it will be a bit, bit taller when it gets established. Um, always got these very um, very fresh leaves, the fresh green leaf, which is actually quite a good contrast to the flower. But some, I some just want to say one thing, Joe, that you may, you manage to keep your plants looking very good at the bottom. Now, an awful lot of people, when you go and buy chrysanthemums like this at this time of the year, in a small pot like that, you will find that the bottom leaves are shriveled and dried and looking... Yeah, well, I'll tell you ratty. why that is. I'll tell you why that is. Yeah. That is because most stocks of chrysanthemum that you can buy have got eelworm. Right. And the eelworm grows up, it travels its way up the stem, and it kills off the leaves one by one as you go up the stem. So as you go up the stems, the leaves are dying off at the bottom. So that's factor number one. Factor number two is if they're shaded at the bottom, then they will also, the, the lower leaves will die off because they're not getting enough light. Yeah. So there's two factors there. Now, I'm not claiming that I don't have eelworm. <laughs> I do. But the point is that on a nursery, it's always far worse than it is in your garden, because in your garden, you're not watering every second day or even twice a day as we had to in the summer. You're barely watering at all. So the opportunity for that nematode to crawl up the stem is far, far reduced. So you see a pot grown chrysanthemum, often no leaves. And I'm not saying I don't have it. I do have it. But I'm just saying when you plant it, it won't be such a problem for you as it is for me because of my yeah. conditions and how I grow things. So, yeah. um, yeah, so you, you know, yes, it is right that you end up with this small stem with just three flowers at the top. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you obviously you obviously sell them as well, don't you? So you're selling them through the plant centre. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so well, you, I mean, basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to educate people that there is life after September in, yeah, in our gardens. And, and, you know, chrysanthemums are an ideal way to do that. Yeah. Um, for instance, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm digressing slightly because there is one branch of chrysanthemums that people train in the most bizarre ways. They make yeah. waterfalls and all the rest of yeah. it. We all yeah. know about that and how difficult it is to do and everything else. But when it's done well, it looks fantastic. But I had a little bit of an accident here but in the garden because I had a, a plant of the uh, variety called Emperor of China, which is probably one of the last ones to flower with pink petals, two-tone pink petals, slightly spoon-shaped on the end. You've, you've got it there. <laughs> I knew he'd he definitely it. has it on the nursery. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and well, he has it to hand. Yes, exactly. Well, the one, the, that's the one, yeah. But the wonderful yeah. thing about this is it, sometimes when the weather gets cold enough, the, the, low, the leaves just below the flowers turn this wonderful colour of beetroot red. Yeah. And I had an, a gangly specimen of this planted in a raised bed and it flopped forward and it yeah. flopped forward and made this wonderful sort of waterfall of, of ruby red um, yeah. foliage and then the flowers on the end. And I just thought it was lovely. Absolutely. Ah, That's it. There we That's go. It, you can see it. one of the leaves. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I think I think it's one of the things that people don't really 
uh, people always associate autumn color with trees and shrubs but yeah. herbaceous plants do the most wonderful autumn color as well and so there's there's rich yellows there's rich reds if you just hang on a second <laughs> We're diverting away from uh, chrysanthemums, but you know this this is an enophora. I mean that's amazing. It's a it's an enophora. Um, sometimes it's called Frigidosa, it's a variety called Erica Robin, but it's got the most glorious colour. And there's uh, some of the astilbes and aruncus have got good colour. And then obviously there's lots and lots of grasses. You can see here this is Panicum vergatum yeah. variety with the most superb autumn colour. And people. You, know, you need to think about these things because they will uh, will go on looking good for it's not just about the flower it's about the leaves and how the leaves look in your garden i think what you're talking about was brought home to me big time when we when we went to chelsea flower show in october two years ago whenever it was yeah. um yeah. and the, the one of the show gardens there used a plant called amsonia and yeah. they didn't use it for its its milky blue flowers they used it for its butter yellow leaves absolutely and i remember yeah. thought yeah, yeah. looking at that and it, i mean it was absolutely stupendous yeah. And I'm so excited because I've got one in my garden for the first time and it's all buttery yellow. And it's yeah, it is. time I, I mean, open my front gate, it's there. And the other thing about yeah. Amsonia, when it's like that, it picks so well. I mean, you can pick pieces of it and put, put it in a bunch and bring it into the house. It doesn't yeah. drop. It has a good yeah. vase life. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's about things that don't drop their leaves. So, you know, lots of plants, I mean, aster, for instance, often goes a good yellow colour. Yeah. Uh, but the leaves then shrivel fairly quickly after you've picked exactly. them, whereas something like Amsonia, those leaves hang on. They stay good, don't they? Yeah. And, and just, same to, you, just to go back to that plant that's to your left, because we didn't what, quite... The Enothera. Yeah, I mean, that's really beautiful. We didn't quite quite catch its name properly. Uh, the, the, it's Enothera fruticosa, and it's a variety called Erica Robin. How do you spell Enothera? O-E. Oh, yeah. N, yep. So it's an uh, evening primrose. Evening primrose. And it was actually selected not for its autumn colour, not for its flowers, but for the most amazing spring foliage. Because in the spring, the foliage is a brilliant yellowy orange colour, quite unlike any other plant. It's, it's the most amazing spring foliage. That's what it was selected for and named Erica Robin. But Erica Robin, uh, she's the daughter of um, John and B. Newbold. But, you know, that's by the by. Um, so they selected it for the spring foliage colour. And then it will also have, if you like, a good rich yellow, which, you know, if you're Christopher Lloyd, that's fine. Um, uh, it also has the most amazing rich yellow flowers and then this incredible autumn colour. So it's a really, really good plant. All seasons, except for the depth of winter, there's something going on you know, three seasons of yeah. the year. Really, it's a very good Well, plant. that's going to make, if, if, I mean, if somebody had the courage if you like to actually propagate that and make enough of it i mean it could make a wonderful spring bedding with brown colored tulips or something whatever you know you whatever you yeah. want i mean it'd be absolutely fantastic how many would you like how many would you like uh, 300 please okay, no, problem. no problem i'll have that for next i'll have that by next week <laughs> now that's very exciting I'm, that could I... go on my list please joe i'll put it on your list don't worry <laughs> You can't see my hand. I'm rising furiously under here. <laughs> and actually, it looks lovely with Ruby Mound, that Owen oh, Sarah, however yeah, we're we saying want, it. We want to put those together. That's, we'll uh, we can do that. Rather Ooh. nice, the foliage. It is. Yeah. Well spotted, though, these. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. feeling covetous. Okay, but your garden's too small. So, uh, <laughs> you'll have to, I'll tell you what you'll have to do. You'll have to do what a lot of people do, is you'll have to do somebody else's garden who isn't very interested and sort of plant a whole load of stuff in someone else's garden or on your allotment. Well, yes, there, yeah, there may okay. well be rows of chrysanthemums yeah. on the allotment at this rate. Very well. <laughs> um, right, so one or two other varieties I've got here. So one of my um, 
favourites, and possibly unsurprisingly, this variety is called Esther, and it starts flowering in July. So it's, it's flowering for me from July. But the flowers and, are not that colour in July. No, they're not. They change colour as the season goes, which is really quite interesting. So in, earlier in the season, they're slightly more bronzy coloured, and then they change through and become pinker and pinker as, as they go on. And if you're prepared to deadhead or do uh, what, what I, I, I'm going to call the May chop, uh, as opposed to the Chelsea chop, <laughs> if you're prepared to do that on some of your plants, um, then you can get a very long flower season. And so what we do is we... We uh, cut them back, we, we split some late, we pot them late. We're doing all sorts of things. And by doing this, we can have them in flower from July to October. So, you know, it, it's the most amazing season. And the only other one I know that flowers for that length of time and so well is... Um, it's the orange. It's orange, which is just remarkable for the length of time that it will flower. It's a really amazing colour. I don't know, Alan, whether you've had one that... Uh, Sometimes you get the odd flower that starts yellow, and you think, "Oh, I've got something new here. I've got a yellow one." No, and then you that. grow, you grow, grow it on, and then it just goes back to being orange again. Orange is absolutely stunning. It's really, really good. Um, it, it stands up well in the garden. Esther stands up well, and Esther is a case in point where the classification doesn't make any sense because this variety is put down as a Korean, but I raised it by collecting seeds from only rubellums. <laughs> so. You know, it, how can it suddenly, you know, become a Korean if its parents were rebellums? And just to, to go back into this Korean thing, because the origins of chrysanthemums are Southeast Asia. Yeah, Japan, China, Korea, there's different species all around that part of the world. But generally, the, because Korea is sort of further north, you can assume that things are slightly hardier from there. So the first parts that came through would all have come through, through from Japan, where the climate except in the north of Japan, where it's very cold, the climate is much warmer than here. So you're, you're dealing with plants that were grown in warm climates. And these amazing sculpture ones that Alan was talking about, you can do that because the climate's warmer. They, they are almost semi-shrubby and they go on growing. Now, chrysanthemums only flower with short day length. So if you can get them growing in the spring and you start pruning and pruning and pruning in the spring while the day length is increasing, then you can make the most amazing tortured sculpture, should you wish. But as soon as the day length starts getting shorter, then they will move into flowering mode. So another way to do is to cheat with these amazing sculptures and keep them in the greenhouse where they've always got long days. And then you can make them whatever shape you want uh, and you've got a longer season to do it. And then you take them out of the greenhouse and you put them outside in natural day length and they will instantly start moving into flower mode. Joe, can I just ask a question? Because what intrigues me is lots of plants we do chuck back midway through the season, the growing season. For instance, we do I do it with phlox, I do it with sedums or hylotelephiums, um, and various other plants as as and when. Heleniums is another one. Yeah. If you were going to do the same thing, if a gardener is growing outside chrysanthemums in their gardens, in their borders, and they want to chop them back, a to probably if they're very tall to lessen their height, maybe. What is the optimum time to do that, considering that they flower it's, length? It's, it's really interesting because although we call it the Chelsea chop and most herbaceous perennials will be chopped in May, if you actually look at the growth pattern of the plant, there are some things that you can chop far later and they will still do the same trick. There, there, there's a group of plants which you have to do in May, but we still do some in July. So I will do uh, things like Gowra in July. I will chop them back and get them to flush up again. Um, and Heliopsis, there's one or two other things that you can successfully do quite late. 
Now, the early group, the May group, if you cut them too late, like aster or flocks, if you cut your aster or flocks in July, you end up with a screeny little rubbish shoots which don't really make anything. So it's looking at the plant and, and judging the timing for that individual plant. And the other thing I would say about the, the, the chopping them back at this time is don't chop your whole plant. So, so, so the, the ones that you chop will flower about two weeks later than the ones that you didn't chop. So you need to work out, do I want the taller, earlier ones at the back or at the front? So then you can either chop the back of the plant or you can chop the front of the plant. Um, and then you'll get the long season actually on the same clump by only shortening some of the stems. I did this with the flocks that came from my grandmother's garden. No name on it at all. Tall mo flocks. I cut, let's just say, every other shoot back. It's not every yeah. other shoot, but... Um, and so the, the ones the ones that I leave flower first, then the ones that I've chopped flower. And if I'm if I'm really diligent and I deadhead the ones that have flowered first, I get three three lots of flowering. Yeah, absolutely. Because and things like lobelia, uh, the lobelia cardinalis speciosa group. Once they finish flowering, if you just take the flower spike off, then they will branch and flower again. And the same is true with a lot of abascans. If you don't cut the whole stem off, you just cut the flower head off where the flower go down to the first real leaf on that stem, then they will branch and sprout again, particularly on the hybrid ones like um, uh, Christo's Yellow Lightning and one or two other ones which are hybrid. Um, you know, they will always repeat flower, but just take the flowers off. Don't cut the whole stem off. Um, so it's sort of learning each plant individually and working out what to do. But Lobelia is classic. If, you know, we always cut them down. In fact, sometimes because I want to time the flowering for an event, I'll actually cut them down while they're in full flower to push them into making <laughs> shoots, which will then flower in time for an event that I'm doing. And the same is true with the Gaura. Uh, can, I, can, I can I just ask you the bottom line, when do you cut back chrysanthemums? If I'm going to cut back chrysanthemums, then I want to do it before the day length changes. Yeah. And this is why the May-June period... So before the longest day. Yeah, because, because, because they are day length sensitive. So you, if you do any cutting you do... You want them to grow a bit before that day length change and then go to flower. So if you cut them after the 21st of June, they're just going to go straight to flower. So you cut them a month or so before, so they've got time to flush up with, with more leaves and more shoots, and then they go into flower. You get the maximum amount of flower. If it's not, if it's not so day length sensitive, the, the ones that aren't so day length sensitive are the ones that you can cut later. You do need to know your plants to know what you can cut when. So that's so for instance, Esther and Dexter Orange, which start to flower earlier and are obviously not day length sensitive, like lots yeah. of the others are. Yeah. You can cut yeah. them earlier or later. Well, because I'm trying to get a whole balance of uh, flowering for the whole season, we do some and some. So we'll do some in in May, and then we'll do some a little bit later. The other thing we trick we use is we actually divide them. So if you divide a plant, it sets it back by about two or three weeks. So we yeah. divide them. I can take cuttings. If I yeah. take a cutting for one of those croissants, it sets it back four weeks, five weeks. So by having a mixture of cuttings, divisions, clipping back, I can get this incredible. Now that's not really, it's not really what gardeners will do. But as a nursery, I want to have the, the longest length of flowering I can manage. Sure. So, yeah. So but these are things you can do in the garden if you've got the time. And if you have a luxury, I think, and this is a luxury today with most people not having big, big gardens. But if you have the luxury of, of a plot where you can actually line some of these chrysanthemums out, you can actually lift them just as they're about to come into flower and put them in the garden wherever you want, providing you water them well beforehand and you puddle them in afterwards and hopefully do it on a dull day as well. Um, mm. You know, so they don't they don't flag too much. But I mean, you know, they are very useful plants. 
Yeah, because you can you, you lift the whole thing. If you if you if you try and divide it, it's hopeless. But if you lift the whole club, you can like a hellebore. A hellebore, so you can lift a whole hellebore. You can just lift the whole thing and plonk it somewhere else, and it doesn't mind in the slightest. Uh, so croissants are like that. But obviously, it's got if it's got too big and starts to break apart when you move it, then that's not quite so good. And you can also pot them up and enjoy them nearer the house. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I love these sections of the podcast. I love it when we just get stuck into things that I just would never know unless we sat down and talked like this. So thank you. <laughs> it's great. It's just what it exists for, introducing us to plants and how to grow them. So perfect. What a wonderful do you want some more? Do you want, want, want Thordis' favourite? Yes. yes. So let's have, keep them coming. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. This. This is the most stunning colour. It's got pinks, it's got coppers, it's got oranges. Uh, fully double pom pom, totally hardy. Doctor Tom Par, Doctor Tom Par. It is one of my favourite varieties for this uh, incredible colour changing that goes on in the flower. Because some varieties just start one colour and stay one colour. But it's these. It's, this is why I like Esther so much because of these colour colour changes that go on in it. So that's uh, Doctor Tom Par, and then we've got one that does stay pretty much the. Um, uh, Thordis liked this one so much last year she bought it. Um, this is one that Alan, you said you did grow, which is Ju uh, Julie Peterson. Ju Julia Peterson. Ju Julia Peterson. I I got it as Julie, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, with very small, fully double flowers in the most intense magenta. The thing about that is she has small flowers, but the colour is so intense. The colour is incredible. I mean, you're yeah. walking around and it just gets your eye as you're walking around the place because it's such a strong colour. Um, and, you know, that's one with, you know, one colour, but, you know, equally dramatic as Dr. Tom Parr. And Dr. Tom Parr, almost, uh, particularly on the screen, but it's almost got like a zinnia, like one of those like little pom-pom zinnia type qualities about those pom-pom flowers. Um, but I think you really do need to see it in real life to appreciate all the tonal qualities of those pom-poms. And it's small and it's neat. Yeah. So you can fit it in your garden somewhere. <laughs> Now this this one this variety just coming up reminds me of a tale. I'll tell you it in a minute. You tell us. <laughs> yeah, go on, no, no, go on, go on, go on, go on, tell. Well, do you remember years ago when um, uh, I think they were known as pot mums? Yeah. Chrysanthemums were, were were treated with a dwarfing agent and they were grown in pots and you'd had four or five cuttings around the edge of a pot and they would have just forced into flower and they were about I don't know five or six inches tall and, and all the rest of it. Somebody came to my house one evening and they brought this as a present, a pot mum, and I just thought. What do you think you're coming to, please? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, but I mean, I, I have respect for anything that's alive, and so I couldn't I couldn't chuck it away. So what I did was I planted it behind a fence in the garden where nobody had to look at it. <laughs> and of course, at the next couple of years, the dwarfing agent stopped working, and the plant became its natural self. And it ended up looking very, very much like the plant that you have in your hand today, with slightly spoon-shaped petals. Yeah, the one I'm waving is called Shining Light, Shining yep. Light, and it's the most uh, amazing quilled yellow petaled plant. It's uh, relatively new. It's quite tall, so it's going to be uh, 90 centimetres, three feet, or possibly even a metre without any problem. Yeah. Uh, but it is this, it's this, the flower shape and quality um, is really quite good. And of course, it, it, it looks very dramatic in the garden. It's such an intense yellow. But I know don't you, you, don't you think, Joe, that there's there's going to be an awful lot of interest in plants with unusual shaped petals? I mean, we, we've yes. got there's nothing wrong with the ones that we, we've got. We've got already. They're all lovely. But I mean, some of the um, <clears throat> the ones that I 
see and I like and spoon shaped petals like that. And if they could be slightly longer and curving, that would be even better. We've yeah. got those in tender ones, but not in hardy ones at the moment. We've, absolutely. We've we've got the, all those characters in the tender ones. Yeah. But the characters have not been moved moved over to the hardy no. ones. So the one and the other thing I'd like to see is some of the, the, the messy petals that go hither and yon, you know, and they just yeah, look yeah. like kind of a punk hairstyle. Yeah, they may not stand. They may not stand up to the weather though. That's the that's the slight issue there with those because the ones yeah. within. I've got this one because uh, she was one of the uh, famous Irish primrose ladies. This is Gladys Emerson. Gladys Emerson, and this is a show variety. It will be six, seven feet tall, no problem. The flowers can be as big as your head if you let them. And they start off this sort of soft orange color and then get more and more creamy, uh, creamy yellow as time goes by. And they will have these amazing incurved petals. But really, it's not a plant for cold, wet English winter. So uh, they, they can look a mess because, you know, once the wet gets into them, they can start getting botrytis in the flower. And they, you know, they don't look they don't look nice. But if somebody could get a slightly wilder look, but with the same thing, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, would be good and it, as long as it's hardy then we're good but there's one called burnt orange as well you know that one alan yeah burnt orange which has got um it's like the shining light but it's got orangey red on the outside and yellow yeah. on the inside yeah um this is a really old very well established if you like traditional variety and this is another one that shows the most amazing color range so it's starting late so we're beginning of november it's just starting and it starts off with peachy colors pinky colors it changes through to white and then as it goes over right at the end of the season it goes back to being pink again but it will flower all the way through christmas this is called wedding day wedding day and it starts now but it will still i do every year i do a christmas day flower count and i walk around and i work out yeah. what's still in flower on christmas day and this is always a reliable flower on christmas day it will always be in flower yeah. What a shame that people don't get bought things like that rather than some awfully named rose. Well, you know, and as Alan was saying with the croissants, that uh, the, the pot mums, I mean, they're all uh, grown under short day lengths of flower when they're really, really small. And I did exactly the same. I bought one because, you know, uh, you know, it's this high, it looks pretty. Put it in the garden. And it turned into the biggest, most floppy monster with terrible, <laughs> because, they're, because, because they're not grown for outdoor use. You know, it's like 10 feet tall and flopping everywhere. They're not grown for outdoor use. You know, they're, they're grown to be sold this high. Who cares what it actually does in real life, which is probably what you found, Alan, when you were doing it. It did. Absolutely yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, I mean, I, I did. I like mine enough to keep it. Yeah, I think mine departed because it wasn't hardy. But, you know, that's, yeah. how, that's how it goes. You know? Yeah. So I'm not prepared to go on trying struggling with stuff that, that is, you know, a waste of time. Uh, you know, it's all got to survive outdoors. If it doesn't survive outdoors, then... There's no point in me doing it. Exactly. If I, you know, it's like I always say, if I can't kill it, then when I sell it to you, I know you can't kill it. So I do my best to kill everything uh, just, to make, just to make sure that you can't. <laughs> um, wedding Day was a little reminiscent of Milkshake. Do you have Milkshake yes. too? Well, you would definitely sell it. Milkshake here. Milkshake's a lovely one. It's, it's lovely. I believe it's, it's a seedling that turned up at the nursery and I believe it's a child of Wedding Day. But it flowers about a month earlier and it goes through lots of the same color changes, but it's much more free flowering. It's a much bigger plant. Um, uh, and, you know, I thought it was worth naming. So I did. Got kind uh, of a greeny um, center as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. And there's one there's one or two varieties selected for this greeny center. The one which I haven't got here, which is called Gold Green Heart. And then there's um, a new series which um, 
people who have crossed the the garden chrysanthemums or the, should we say the greenhouse chrysanthemums with wild species and they then started to get the most amazing characters across as a result and one of those is the green chrysanthemums that you see everywhere the green ones are actually proper they're properly bred using a wild species onto the cultivated ones and through time they've ended up with these most amazing green flowers and green centers and, you know so you know you can use um mutation breeding uh, or you can just find a species and then cross them and try and get the characters in that way and um you know all those things are possible but you know there's a lot of money in croissants so somebody's prepared to spend that time and effort on them to create new stuff and i'm not sure whether my etna that i waved at the beginning um the etna i don't know if that is the result of some you know, massive greenhouse program and somebody's just snitched it and put it in the gardens and rechristened it. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But, you know, I'm enjoying growing it. So, And I mean, I'm assuming so, so people who, who don't grow chrysanthemums will know them predominantly as being a, a massive component in cut flowers, um, you know, particularly sort of mass produced bunches of flowers. I'm assuming all of these cut pretty well as well. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they last a long time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's the vast life. I do wonder whether, and I mean, I said this on the radio the other day, I kind of feel like chrysanthemums are their own undoing, that their vase life and how wonderful they are as a cut flower means they have ended up being associated with garage forecourts. And so people, they kind of so have the wrong associations. They should be celebrated for the fact that they're such good plants and have such great vase life. Well, I've, but... got a, I've got a vase in my back hall, on the table in my back hall, and it's been there for nearly two weeks. And it's looking as, dare I say, as fresh as a daisy. But I mean, they, <laughs> they, they are wonderful. I mean, I just love them. Well, they're so easy to grow as well. I mean, this is yeah. a, a shame. I mean, they're very easy to grow, full sun, uh, possibly not really, really dry, sort of average full sun is no problem whatsoever. And um, they just look after themselves. Uh, they don't seem to get, we've, we've talked about earworm, uh, there's a leaf spot they can get, you know, earwigs in the flower, but that's not really an issue uh, for these ones because, you know, it's the big ex exhibition ones that have an earwig problem. Minor problems, uh, very rarely do you get this chrysanthemum white rust. It's normally a problem in greenhouses, not a problem mm. outside, but very, very rarely I see it outside. So generally they're pretty trouble-free and uh, easy to grow. So, it's, you know, more people need to grow them because they're, you know, Good value and as you say alan you know in your garden they must look spectacular right now yeah exactly hey Fordis here just to say thank you so much for listening to talking dirty you are now officially our favorite person if you really liked it please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant loving mayhem next week and as you're our new favorite person we don't want you to miss out if you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.